the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go-to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high-profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. Arthur Idala, and I will tell you, after last night's show with Benjamin Broffman, the feedback was unbelievable. I'm so happy that everyone enjoyed that uh, behind-the-scenes look at the life and the law of Benjamin Broffman. So I will tell you, the interview just kept going and going, so we're going to listen to the rest of it tonight. I hope you enjoy it, and uh, tomorrow night you'll have Joni in here, and then Friday we'll do a best of. Enjoy the rest of the week, folks. Well, just a little a little inside, uh, my dad in that case represented Jennifer Lopez. Right, right. She was so, in, he was in court every day. Every day. And um, it was uh, Matthew Bogdanis was the uh, who's a storied prosecutor in the Manhattan DA's he office. Had 12, he had 12 homicide trials before Judge Solomon, and he won all of them before the Puff Daddy trial. I think it was 12. And he and I have since become very good friends. He um, And I remember you uh, you standing up in your summation. And uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because now this is, uh, what was it, 20 years ago? When was Puff Daddy? More than, yeah, it was 1999. Okay. I'm pretty, 21 years ago. Okay, so. I'm, uh, I think that maybe 23 years ago, it was 1999, but that's okay. No, he was arrested in 99, okay. and he was acquitted in 2000. So I'm sitting in the front row with my dad. I remember you standing up, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you said something to the to the jurors like, look, Johnny Cochran's sitting right there, and we all wish that Johnny Cochran was going to stand up and give this summation, but something along the lines of, he didn't want us, he didn't want to be a distraction because this is too important. Isn't that something? something you, yeah. you alluded to, because right. you had to, right? I mean, there's right. Johnny Cochran, right. the, if but, it don't fit, you must acquit kind right. of, you know. But I mean, the, when the game, when the trial started, I think Puffy wanted me to take race out of the case because he didn't want an OJ verdict. He wanted, I am not guilty, that's it. And I got up and I used to, if you remember, I used to wear a, a pin collar. Okay? As, as the mayor of the city of New York now. Right, does. okay. So I always wore a pin collar. So I get up and I, I say, you know, look, I don't want this to be confusing. He says, you got two lawyers for Puff Daddy. You got Johnny Cochran and me. Now, Johnny Cochran never wears a pin in his collar. And I always wear a pin in my collar. So when a lawyer's up here and he's got a pin in his collar, that's Brockman. <laughs> when a lawyer's up here and he's not got a pin in his collar, that's Cochran. And, uh, and wh- how, what was the amount of money, if you remember, of the lawsuits against Puffy? Oh, it was a, over $100 million. Like way over. Way and, over. And I remember one of your lines, which I have absolutely, well, in several cases taken from you is those witnesses had 175 Mil- million, million reasons right. to lie because right. that's it and I'm going to tie two of my little war stories together 
I spoke to you. We were not as close as we are now, but there were a couple of cases that we overlapped on before I tried the crane case, the crane that fell right. in the city and seven people were killed. And I, it was so complicated technically. And I said to you, I said, probably calls you Mr. Brofman. <laughs> I said, I think I'm going to waive a jury and I'm going to go bench in front of Roger Hayes. And you said, that's fine, Arthur, but you better have a real defense because Roger Hayes is no BS. He's an honest and guy. He's an honest guy. And, you know, if, if you got the facts, then that's where you're going to go. But if you don't, that's not the right judge. And I figured out by sitting here and reading crane books and climbing cranes that I was representing a factually innocent man, a guy who did nothing wrong. And I used that line in my summation to him that the city of New York had, it was $875 million in lawsuits. Whereas if Capretti got convicted, those lawsuits all go away. That was, Now it's his fault. It's not the city's fault. So I told that to Roger Hayes. It, we summed up on a Monday and he said, I'm going to give you my verdict on Thursday. Tuesday and Wednesday, I had never experienced anxiety like that in my life. And I walk into the, the courtroom that day and then there was a serious media presence. And when Judge Hayes took the bench, it, it was very formal. Uh, the clerk asked him, you know, like, has the jury reached a verdict? He goes, Your Honor, have you reached a verdict? Okay. And on the first count, the second was 40 some odd counts. And after I heard not guilty, every time I look at them and I'm hearing the cameras, and there, there it is. That's, that's, that's it right there. And I said to the court officer, I remember her name was Jennifer. I said, Jennifer, I said, can I go out the back door for, with, with the judge? The judge left the bench after thanking us. And I shook the prosecutor's hands. And there was a, another door outside in the hallway. And I opened the door and it was a broom closet. And Ben, I fell on my knees and I was crying like a 12-year-old yeah. who ran his bicycle into a tree. His wife was crying. His daughters were crying. All these crane guys who, like, they eat sausage and pepper. Heroes are 100 stories up. They were all crying. And I was... I couldn't stop myself. And this is when Twitter just came out. Right. And Shepard Smith was the first one who sent me a picture on my flip phone of ABC News saying, uh, Repetti acquitted of all charges. And then that, like, snapped me out of it. And that feeling of saving someone's life, I can only equate it to a doctor who, where someone comes into the emergency room and they're likely likely to die, and, and you save them. It's just... I'll tell you the difference. It's a special I mean, What we do and what a doctor does. Go ahead. Doctors have x-rays and medicine and, you know, blood tests and, you know, they pretty much know what they can give you and that doesn't kill you and we fly by the seat of our pants. We can prepare, we can study, we can... But it's there's no science, you know, it's really us. And I was giving a... Uh, uh, I, was, I was hosting a fundraiser for the in Israel Cancer Research Fund and I was presenting an award to one of the foremost oncologists in the world and, you know, he's an interesting guy and then I give him the plaque or whatever and I sit down. He sits down and he says, Mr. Braffman, I've always wanted to meet you. And I said, why? He says, you know, because we have a lot in common. I says, what do we have in common? He says, no one's ever happy to meet you and no one's ever happy to meet me. <laughs> and, and I said, that's a great line, but let me tell you where we're different. When you lose, they die. <laughs> when I lose, I get letters for 25 years. I believe it was when I heard you speak at the Police Athletic League when you were honored as the man yeah. of the year and you said the difference between a, a, a cancer doctor and a criminal defense attorney is when the cancer doctor tells someone they have cancer, everyone runs towards them. Right. When a criminal defense attorney everyone says you've been indicted, away. everyone runs away. And that is... That's true. That is very, very I, true. In many cases, I'm the only one in that person's life. And the family sometimes isn't supportive and the friends, and you become a pariah. And if it's got publicity, and
And if it's a sort of a, a venal case where you claim to, you know, bribe someone, or you know, suddenly everybody loses their respect for a person. So I'm, I'm in cases sometimes where it's me and the client, and the person who comes to you has like 10,000 people who love them, they think. No one loves them when suddenly they're in the eye of the, the storm. And I'm, I'm, you know, no one wants to meet me professionally until they have to, and, <laughs> right? And then suddenly I'm like uh, an important person in their life. Okay, don't go away, folks. We're going to be back with Benjamin Brofman right after these messages. So we're all caught up talking about criminal law, criminal defense attorneys, prosecutors. But, you know, most people are not going to ever encounter a prosecutor. Most people are not going to ever need a criminal defense attorney. But will you need a will? Everyone needs a will. Everyone should have a health care proxy, a living will, a power of attorney. And you should have the paperwork in place in case you or one of your loved one gets sick and you wind up in a rehabilitation center. Because those costs are tremendous. The cost of a nursing home could be $500 a day. It could be $15,000, $20,000 a month. It could absolutely bankrupt you. But maybe you're eligible for Medicaid. Maybe there's an insurance policy you could buy now that protects you from all of that stuff. Just call Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law. They've helped hundreds of people just like you with the same thing that you could be going through. Protect yourself. They'll tell you exactly what you're eligible for, and they'll also help you devise a plan to avoid such dire financial news. Call Connors and Sullivan for a free initial consultation with a lawyer. Call 718-238-6500. They have offices in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. It's never too late. The time to act is now. So don't wait. Call Connors and Sullivan today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. And after you call and you make that appointment, you'll be so glad that you did. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-333-1750. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes, are overweight, or have high blood pressure. Term Provider has helped thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-333-1750. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-333-1750. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. Call 800-333-1750. 800-333-1750. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey, is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Mitsubishi dreamers, designers, and engineers are redefining choices in mobility for a whole new generation of independent, modern, and savvy consumers who want value, like the new redesigned 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander featuring its industry-leading Mitsubishi 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain limited warranty. Visit Freehold Mitsubishi today, freeholdmitsubishi.com, or call 732 863 we're back with Benjamin Brofman here on the Author Dollar Power Hour. Anyone who's in New York and has ever read a headline knows the name of Ben Brofman as the quintessential criminal defense attorney over almost the last 50 years. 
So I, I would like to talk to you about um, one of your contemporaries who, who sadly just left us, Gerald Shargell. He was a little older than you, but for a long time, when any big name got arrested, it wasn't, a, it wasn't of who was going to represent them. It was which one. Is it going to be Jerry or is it going to be Ben? Is it going to be Ben or is it going to be Jerry? He could throw a little left court in there right. as well. But, uh, and I, you know, we saw each other at, at, at the Jerry at the funeral. Tell me a little bit about Gerald Shargell and your interactions with him through decades of working. Someone once asked me, you know, says if, if you suddenly needed a criminal defense lawyer and you had to pick somebody who, you know, I, I would often say I think Jerry Shargell because I've worked with him. I've seen him prepare. He's relentless. But he also is personable. He has a good sense of humor. He's nice. He's pleasant. And I've seen him do brilliant cross-examinations, and I've seen him give great uh, summations. And the one thing I liked about Jerry, he was sort of like not afraid to, to rumble uh, with the government. And, you know, my adversary, your adversary, it's not like another lawyer. It's the government. And, you know, I've often said in my uh, openings uh, in a courtroom where, you know, you got the state of New York against, you know, the, Mike, United, Mike, States the United States of America. And, you know, I said, I said often, I said, you know, you're going to hear this young man stand up and he's going to say the government calls this witness. The government. He's not the government. You're the government. I'm part of the government. My client's part of the government. He gets to say it, but he doesn't become the government. And I think that sort of levels the playing field a little bit. But I got to tell you, my adversary, your adversary, it's really not a level of playing field. And it's not the presumption of innocence. And it's not, you know, I think when when people come into a criminal case, they sort of look at the you know defendant and think he must have done something to get the distinction of being indicted. You know, in this uh, case, just didn't pick him out of the yellow pages for this uh, distinction. So you know, I, it's one of the thing, especially uh, lately for me, when Jerry Shogel's headline came out of his obituary, he was referred to as mafia lawyer. Yeah, it was a shame. Well, you know. Geraldo Rivera was very close with him. They went to law school together right. and all that. And Geraldo, and that's what I, I had the same reaction that you did. Then Geraldo said, I don't think Jerry would mind that. He goes, you know, that's how he cut his teeth. He he ran in those circles. And I haven't bought it, but there's a new book that came out called Gotti, written by former judge John Gleason, who was the prosecutor who prosecuted John Gotti. Tell me a little bit about that period of, of your world regarding being involved with John Gotti or and, and anything that's related to that book that just came out. Well, I'll tell you. Well, I'll, let me just start by telling you, I was upset about, you know, how they referred to Jerry Chagall in the Times obituary because he was much more than a mafia lawyer. He was a brilliant guy and he could try a securities fraud case and a gun case and a sex case and a, and you know, go in the appellate and a tax and case and he was an appellate lawyer. He was a really, you know, well-rounded. So, you know, yeah, I used to tell Jerry and Bruce Cutler, I said, you guys are getting too close to the people you represent. I've never been to a club. I've never been to the Ravenite. I don't want to go to the Ravenite. And I will tell you, you got to keep your distance because what's going to happen is, you know, either guy like John John Gleason's going to indict you or someone like him. And when they recused, you know, Shargell and Cutler, you know, Al Krieger was retained by John Gotti. And Krieger calls me up and says, you know, I agree to represent, uh, you know, Gotti on the condition that Gravano hires you. And I said, well, you know, I'm flattered by that. But, you know, shouldn't I have something to say about it? He said, it'll be a great trial. It'll be me and you and, you know, and we'll kick their ass. And I said, this is know, when Gravano, before he was going to become a witness. Right. It was, you know, a couple of days 
years before. And, you know, Jerry represented Gravano for like, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, but I don't think, look, I, I, I was. Jerry called, represented Gravano or represented Gotti or represented both? He represented Gravano for many years, and then he represented Gotti in the state uh, cases where Gotti was charged with assault. And, um, you know, Jerry was a great lawyer. And, you know, Jerry could try, you know, I call them gangster cases as well as anybody. And, you know, there was a time in the early 80s where if you really wanted to become a well-rounded, seasoned criminal defense lawyer who knew how to cross-examine people, you had to try one of these cases or two of these cases. First of all, they were the only people going to trial. Second, you know, those cases... Is you had the deans of the criminal defense bar. Like who? Give me some Like names. Gus Newman, okay. the late Gus Newman. I mean, he and I tried five cases uh, together. And, you know, he was 25 years older than I was, and I was the new kid on the block. But, you know, Gus and I became friends. We became uh, colleagues. And, you know, we tried a case in the Supreme Court, New York County, in which, you know, we got acquittals. And it wasn't, uh, you know, a mobbed-up case. It was two guys who owned the used car lot, and they, you know, got charged with beating the crap out of one of the burglars. It was a stupid case. But, you know, we, we got acquittals in that case. But, you know, so Gus Newman, you know, was one of the people who tried uh, those cases. Mr. LaRosa? Jimmy LaRosa tried those cases. You know, one of the consummate criminal defense lawyers. One of my first, I'll tell you a funny story. I get called by Jimmy LaRosa one day. And, you know, he knew me from the, the Manhattan DA's office. And he says, I got a good case for you. And he said, what's the case? He says, uh, it's two guys named Perone. You need to represent one of them and I have a lawyer who's going to represent the other, but it's it's a good case for you. So, you know, I was looking to break in with LaRosa and, you know, am I going to say, no, I'm not interested? So it was a loan shark case. The tapes were horrific. I mean, I've listened to bad tapes. These were like, whoa. There was one tape of the client saying to the cooperating witness who was a, quote, a victim, a loan shocking victim, saying, you're going to pay me Monday. I'm going to take you down in the basement. I'm going to peel you like a grape. I'm going to pull out your tongue and I'm going to shove it up your ass. That's a good one. That's a bad tape, right? <laughs> so, so in any event, let me tell you what happened in that case. We find out that the loan shark victim client, who's a career criminal, is not in jail. He's in a safe house. And we don't know where the safe house is. We're not interested in finding it. But it's in Jackson Heights. And what we also find, this guy was a fast food professional robber. He did fast food places, you know, Jack in the Box and McDonald's. He did that all over the country. Every day he would hold up. And, you know, we started to canvas some of the local in Jackson Heights. And there were like 20 of these in one area. And all of them were robbed. And, you know, we go there with the picture of this guy. One of my investigators goes there with the picture of the guy. He says, yeah, that's the guy who robbed us. He said, what do you mean he robbed you? He's in custody. He says, that's the guy who robbed us. And four people made a positive ID. And Charlie Carnese was the assistant district attorney in the Brooklyn Rackets Bureau, May right? Rest in peace. Yeah, no, yeah, but he was, he and I became friends. But he also represented, you know, John Gotti Jr. for 10 years. So he's now in the Brooklyn DA's office, and he's a really tough prosecutor. I don't say anything to him. But now they have the witness on the stand. And I think his name is Kenny O'Donnell, if my memory serves me correctly. And I'm getting up to cross-examine him. And I said to him, I don't want you to tell us what you're saying, because, you know, I'm not permitted to know that. But you're not in jail. You're in a safe house, right? Yes. And two, two detectives from the district attorney's office babysit you, right? Yeah. So I said, um, and when they fall asleep, you climb out and you go hold up a jack-in-the-box, don't you? And, and, and he looks at me and he says, oh, 
That was his response. And I said to him, and then I take him through all the places he hit. And then he stops answering questions. And, you know, we don't, the DA is crazed. I want a good faith. So it was an old, you know, an old judge who was like having a ball. He loved this. And then they acquit. And after they acquit, the judge comes out and he says, O'Donnell wants to see you. And I don't want to see him. He says, he wants to see you. I'll send the court officers in with you. I go in the back and he's sitting there and he says to me, I want one of your cards. <laughs> and I said, why? He says, because I'm going to need a criminal lawyer down the road. You did a great job. So I said, thank you very much, but I'm not giving you one of my cards. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Yeah, I did, but you can't. You know why? Because, you know. Well, Slotnick just did. His son was in here the other day. And, and yeah, he... but Slotnick didn't write it. Somebody wrote it. Well, you know, yes, James Patterson, Patterson wrote James it. James Patterson. Right. Yeah, but Slotnick is, and I think he's sort of retired or semi-retired. Yeah. First of all, I, the good stories, you can't write them because the, the people who you represented don't really want that that's cases true. from 30 years oh, ago. I always, I always talk about it. I go, that's going to be in the book. I never write I'll tell you a funny story about the, convers- the last conversation I had with Puff Daddy. Right? So I represented him 21 years ago. Now, about six years ago, he's going to be on the Letterman show. And I call him and I said, you're going to be on Letterman tonight. He says, yes, yeah, so. He says, you got to do me a solid. He says, what? He says, you got to give me a shout out. He says, what do you mean? He says, when you're on there, I says, I want to give a shout out to my Uncle Benny, because that's what he called me. He says, the greatest criminal defense lawyer in America. And he says to me, are you nuts? I said, why? He says, 99% of the kids who buy my... They weren't even born when I had my stuff. They have no idea that I needed a criminal defense. Okay, never mind. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with Ben Brofman, the criminal defense attorney who has been so awesome giving us all of this time today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So let's talk about my friend Susan at Rhino Shield. You guys know how proud I am of my house and how well it looks after years now of weathering and rains and snows and cold and heat. What about that blistering heat? Doesn't hurt the house. And you know what it does? It helps keep the air conditioning in the house because Rhino Shield's not paint. It's a ceramic coating that gets sprayed onto your house. And it helps keep that air conditioning in your house where you want it. You don't want it seeping out the walls and seeping out the, the ceiling in the roof. Rhino Shield guarantees your house will look as if it was freshly painted with an amazing 25-year transferable warranty against peeling, chipping, cracking, mold, or mildew. When was the last time a painter gave you a 25-year warranty? You will never have to consider painting again. Well, at least not in the next 25 years. Rhino Shield will increase the resale value of your home because of what I said. It's going to keep the heat in in the winter and the air conditioning in in the summer. And right now, Susan is offering no payments, no interest financing for one year. That along with her strongest discount yet, 20% off for anyone who requests a free free quote by August the 31st. So call today and lock in your 20% discount. That's 877-744-6608. That's 877-744-6608. Or go to RhinoShieldOfNewYork.com. And when you reach out to Susan, make sure you tell her that Arthur sent you. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Tonight is Wellness Wednesday on Radio Night Live on AM 970, The Answer. And we look forward to welcoming Dr. Jeanette Nishwat from the Fox News Medical All-Star Team. Got some things to talk about like childhood obesity and also the CDC scrapping all COVID guidelines. Don't miss it. Tonight at 7. A journey to Israel this November will impact you forever. Join Sebastian Gorka, Dinesh D'Souza, and our trusted travel partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours, for 10 life-changing days. Register today at StandWithIsraelTour.com. 
Today, it's Wellness Wednesday on Radio Night Live with Kevin McCullough. Sponsored by Balance of Nature, the whole fruit and vegetable capsule delivering your maximum nutrition in every dose. 100% whole food nutrition with the taste, smell, and color of pure fruits and veggies as nature intended just for you. Try them now and see for yourself. 35% off and free shipping. Call now, 800-2468-751 or balanceofnature.com. And don't miss Wellness Wednesday tonight at 7 p.m. on AM 970. The Answer. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey, is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Driving ambition for 40 years in the United States, Mitsubishi Motors sees the automotive industry differently. Mitsubishi challenges convention with innovative approaches in the way Mitsubishi engineers and builds their vehicles. Just look at the all-new redesigned 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander. Now in stock in all trim levels and all with a flexibility of third-row seating. Visit Freehold Mitsubishi today. FreeholdMitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2700. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. And we are back at the Arthur Idala Power Hour with a really special guest for me. He is a man who's 20 years my senior, but his experience uh, just belies uh, his age and my age. He's just, a, and he's a wonderful guy. Uh, we're going to come back now. We have Benjamin Brofman here with us. Besides Puff, is there is there another other client that... Uh, Peter Gation. That you became buddies with, you know, like you're you talk to on the holidays or birthdays or things like that. Peter Gation and I have you know become very close friends. He was the king of nightclubs, and he was the owner of the Limelight Club USA, Palladium, and Underground. The and what underground. was he charged with? And he was Rudy Giuliani decided that uh, you know club world is destroying the neighborhoods because what happens is they open the, these clubs are in you know now is this u.s attorney giuliani or mayor giuliani no it's it's when he was mayor okay and he then then peter gation got on the cover of new york magazine and it was king of clubs and he's got the black eye patch so he was a you know interesting guy and uh, they decided that he was the root of the evil in in clubs and the eastern district decided to prosecute him and they indicted him for a rico case because they claimed that the club Clubs were a drug supermarket, and people would come there to buy, you know, drugs. And they were they had a captive audience because there were three thousand people in there every night, and he was gazillions of dollars. I mean, the limelight. Oh, and they were all big, but the limelight. The was limelight was internationally the known. Right. <laughs> right. So, so they indicted him, and um, we really did a lot of work preparing that case, and we had, I think, twenty six witnesses who were interviewed and going to be defense witnesses. And these were security people, and they were, you know, really good witnesses, solid people. So this case was in the Eastern District? Eastern District. And, it was and around six, what years? It was also, it was, uh, I don't remember. But, um, the 90s. Yeah, but, yeah, the late 90s, yeah. It's got to be more than 20 years. Yeah, I mean, I remember. I think right. it was before the Puffy case. Before, before the Puffy case. And I uh, prepared 26 defense witnesses. So it was a six-week trial. And the government in that case had such a bad case. And they had such bad witnesses. But did they have the judge? No, the judge was Judge Block. Oh, and it was his first. Yeah. It was his first federal criminal trial. Okay. And he gave me, like, the best trial I've ever had in my life. Okay. And the 
government really let him down. He's a good friend of Gerald Shargell's. Right, yeah. and he's a really good guy. And the 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 DA, the U.S. Attorney's Office, really sold him a bill of goods. And they really they lied to him about so much in the in the case. And I so at the end, this is the upshot of the story. At the end of the case, the government's last four witnesses were a, a quartet of really degenerate drug dealers who had you know, committed so many crimes. And you know, cross-examining them was like just like I don't know. I, I and you'd have to tie one of my hands behind my back, you know, to make it fair. And they were just so cross-examinable. After a while, I could get them to admit that they killed Jimmy Hoffa. They, <laughs> they were so... And they, and the government rested after six weeks. And, you know, the judge said, you're yeah, prepared to start your, your case tomorrow. And we went back to my office. And I said to Peter Gation and his, and his wife, Alexandra, I said, I'm going to say something, which is, you know, we're ahead in my judgment. We should sum up tomorrow. A, the government's not going to be ready. And B, if we put on a defense case. They're going to get rebuttal, and that's the trial's going to go on for another four weeks. That's for a second. As good as we think these witnesses are, we're not the FBI. We're not the DEA. We have no idea what they have ever done in their life, and if the government tars one of them, there goes our whole, you know... It also, for the jurors, it kind of shifts the burden, right. even though it's it, not supposed it's, no, to shift. No, but it shifts the burden. You're right. And we were so on point, and we, and the next day, we rested, and two and a half hours, the jury deliberated and they acquitted him of everything. Okay, yeah. I just want to rewind a little bit. Tell the listeners how difficult it is to make that decision that about night. putting on a, a case or not putting on a case. Well, I came home that night and I, I couldn't stop sweating. I was like in a cold sweat the whole night and I kept pacing around, you know, the house. And I and my wife says, what are you doing? I said, you know, to be honest with you, I just made like one of the toughest decisions in my professional life. If I'm right and we win, I'm going to be like a genius. And if I lose, and they're going to find out that I had 26 witnesses and I didn't call any of them. He's going to go somewhere else and it's going to be some, you know, I don't know, I want to use her name, but some lawyer who's going to file a ineffective assistance of ca- and I'm going to be destroyed. And I think it's the right decision, you know, and, and it's a judgment call. It's a judgment. Yeah, but you don't have, you can't do a blood test to say, I think no. this is a good judgment. Uh, no, no, right, exactly. You know, but listen, suddenly, I, you know, it's, there, it's, right, suddenly it's on your back and on your shoulders. And when that, and I'll tell you something else. The jury was all middle-aged, older people who had never been in a nightclub. And there was one really bad piece of evidence, one bad piece of evidence. And on the in the second hour of deliberations, they asked for that readback. And the readback was just terrible. And Peter Gation took over his watch and emptied his pocket and took out his wallet and just slid him across the table. And he looks at me, and I couldn't look at him. And I remember that. And I said to me, tell me that's not bad. And I said, I'm not going to tell you anything. And 20 minutes later, they had a verdict. Oh, and that's n- nerve-wracking. No, it's the what, worst and feeling and in I'm the world. After you get a bad I, note, no, and, and I, there's I'm a verdict. A bad note, and then there's a verdict. And my heart was jumping out of my chest. And I come out, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And I'll tell you what I'll never forget. Talking to Ben Brofman here uh, about uh, the Peter Gation. Limelight uh, trial. Go ahead. I'll tell you what was really something I'll never forget. There are probably 75 club kids, we call them, in the courtroom when the verdict came. And these are, this is, don't forget, this is more than 20 years ago. But these kids had earrings in their noses and in their eyebrows and green hair and blue hair and purple hair. And it was, you know, they were just there. And then the verdict came in and they got up and started to dance. And they would, and, and you know, Block was pounding, says, I won't have this in my courtroom. And finally, says, I had the hell with it. <laughs> <laughs> and they would jump. And I'll tell you something else. 
that night, we had a reception at a bar. And, you know, and I went home. I showered. I changed. I came back. And my wife and I walk in. This is Ben Broffin having a reception at a bar, the man who doesn't drink. But go ahead. It's not, but it's, not, it's not a bar reception. It's like a club. You know, right. in any event, they kept coming up to me. And they were crying. And they kept saying, you saved my job. You know, I'm not employable at Xerox or Kodak. You know, I'm a gripper. I'm a light technician. I do the shows at the limelight. Where am I going to get a job if that club closes? So it was did, like, you hear from, did you hear from Giuliani? Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what I heard. I, what I heard, and I don't know whether this is true or not, but it was somebody in this inner circle. The next morning after the verdict, Giuliani comes into this staff meeting and he throws a book across the room. He says, we can't even convict a freaking club owner. <laughs> and then I'll tell you the next day what happens. This is this is memory lane. The next day, I got to go to the Eastern District. I have an appointment in an unrelated case, and I figured I'm going to keep the appointment. So I get out of the car, and there's Zachary Carter, who was the U.S. Attorney at the time, and he sees me. I see him, and he was kind of gracious. He came over, he shook my hand, and he said, "Look, congratulations. I know how important this case was to you professionally. So good luck. You tried a good case." And I said to him, "You know, Zach, if you want to have a cup of coffee one day, and we can talk about what I think, you know, your office did or did not do wrong, you know." I'll never forget this. He looks at me and he says, um, if I had to try this case again, I wouldn't change anything. And I looked at him. I said, you know what? If I just lost the most important case in my office and I had to try it again, I would do it different. Yeah. The, <laughs> I mean, I would do it different. Well, that looks exactly. That's the last conversation we ever had. <laughs> he's, he, he's, well, he's got, he had a pretty good career, Zach. Uh, well, you know, everything's he relative. Be, he went on to become the Corp Council. I mean, right. he had a lot of fun. But so, you know, you're going to ask me about what's my reaction to the Gleason book. Uh, okay. if, if that's what you were. We're here with Ben Brofman, who's the noted criminal defense attorney internationally. A book just came out written by a retired federal judge, uh, John Gleason, who was the prosecutor who convicted ultimately John Gotti. By the way, Ben, who summed up on that case? Why do I remember Andrew Maloney, no, who was the U.S. Was, attorney? Was it Gleason? Was Gleason yeah. He summed up? Okay. Yeah. And, and um, so he writes He writes the book. I didn't read the book, but uh, you know, I was, I was told I should read these pages because he refers to me. And I'll tell you what, you know, Bob me, although I don't think he's going to sell 20 copies, so I'm not that worried. But it's in print, so it's forever. He writes about the day that they uh, brought Gravano down, because Gravano had reached out through his wife, and they wanted to, you know, flip him, and I was technically Gravano's lawyer, and he writes... So, excuse me, just a little bit of background. At the time, John Gotti and Sammy the Bull Gravano were both co-defendants on a case that was about to go to trial, right? and you, for a very short period of time, were representing Sammy the Bull Gravano. And now Krigo is representing John Gotti. And, it's, and who was the judge? Oh, it was Glasser. Uh, right, Glasser. by Leo Glasser. Right. And so, uh, just so folks know, when a, a prosecutor knows that an individual is represented by a lawyer, they're not allowed to speak with that person without having the assigned counsel or the representative counsel present or, or knowing about it. But that did not happen here. So tell us what happened. Well, what happens is, I, I, I'll tell you what Gleason writes in the book. Gleason writes, mentions my name, and he says, Ben Brathman, who was, quote, effective, close quote, was Gravano's lawyer and neither I nor Gravano or words and substance really trusted Brofman. So we went to Glasser and we had a lawyer appointed to represent you know, Glasser. And then it's, he goes on and he writes a, a lot more where he just makes up stuff or he gives you his mindset, his opinion. I was offended by it and I'll tell you why. For him to, you know, characterize me as effective, I mean, you know, I, I and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I have literally won or been 
awarded every single, you know, award you could possibly get as a criminal defense lawyer from the Bar Association, from the New York State Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, the National Council of Criminal Defense Lawyers, the Police Athletic League. I got like a wall full of stuff from all of these places. And to suggest, you know, give me short shrift that, you know, I was effective. I mean, look, I don't really care because I'll tell you what I have found in my career. Lawyers or prosecutors, when they take a shot at you, it's generally because they're envious. Or, you know, they'll practice for the rest of their life and no one will ever hire them to represent somebody in a real, you know, jam. So, you know, Gleason tells people, you know, he's my friend and, you know, I, you know I, I, we've never had a meal. We've never spoken friendly. I mean, I see him at these you know, award functions. I just won Office of Appellate Defender where I argued the gun case that was just, you know, brought down by the Supreme Court and changed the law. I argued against Neil Katyal. Neil Katyal is a former Solicitor General. He must have argued before the United States Supreme Court maybe 30, 40 times. You know, I've never been in that building other than to be admitted, uh, but I've never argued there. And, you know, Office of Appellate Defender invited me to, uh, you know, do the, the argument. I did it. And they ruled in my favor. So tell me, what did Gleason get wrong in the book? Well, first of all... About Ben Brofman. I don't think he needed to mention my name. It was a gratuitous punch in my face for no reason whatsoever. It doesn't help the book. It doesn't change the narrative. He could have said Gravano, you know, cooperated. He was represented by a lawyer. We got him appointed a new lawyer, period, end of discussion. You know, my name is on one or two pages in the book. And, you know, to be honest with you, people who've seen it there have been sort of furious at Gleason for doing that. So to the extent that a number of people who he respects, you know, tell them that they think he was, you know, a small man, if you will, you know, taking a shot at a guy like me, that'd be great. But I don't care. To it, be honest a, with you. Just so we, we, we're clear, what the idea is that, that Judge Gleason is saying in the book is that they were concerned that if Sammy the Bull Gravano told you that he wanted to cooperate with the government, that you were then going to tell John Gotti and he and his family would be killed. Isn't that the essence of it? That's the essence of it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it was more complicated than that. You know, Mr. Gravano and Mr. Gotti had a joint defense agreement between them and their their lawyers. So it would have put me in a difficult ethical position. But, you know, I could have gone to Judge Glasser, just like Gleason went to Judge Glasser. I know Judge Glasser for as long as Gleason does. And I would have said, Judge, give me some guidance. What do I do? And maybe I step out. But at the end of the day, he just made these decisions. And, you know, God bless him. If he sells, you know, 100 copies of this book, I would be shocked. All right, we're going to take a break. Ben Brofman will be right back, and he'll have more to tell us about his life in the law. The Arthur Idala Power Hour is sponsored in part by the good people at Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey. America's been thunderstruck by the all-new 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander. Get high style without the high price, plus an industry-leading 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain limited warranty. Drive one today at Freehold Mitsubishi for the best selection and outstanding customer service. Just a short ride from anywhere in the metro tri-state area. Visit FreeholdMitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2788. 
Hi, this is Judge Kamins, a partner at Idala Bertuna and Kamins, and where Arthur Idala of the Arthur Idala Power Hour works at his 24-7 day job. In 2014, I retired from the bench to join ABK, which is a full-service preeminent boutique firm that has been helping New Yorkers when legal problems arise. ABK is uniquely qualified to assist New Yorkers who have a wide range of legal problems, from personal injury claims and civil litigation to criminal defense and trusts and estates. I personally work on appellate matters, attorney disciplinary matters, and complex legal issues with a dedicated group of attorneys who provide a team approach to each case. There is no legal problem too big or small for this talented and hardworking legal team. So when you think of the Idala Power Hour, also keep in mind ABK, the power legal firm. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Friends, imagine you're relaxing on the sky deck of a beautiful yacht as it cruises through the New York Harbor. The iconic skyline creates a picturesque backdrop as you sit back with your feet up, taking in the sun and the scenic views, finding refuge from traffic that plagues the tri-state area on board a tranquil cruise. Does this sound like an impossible dream? All of this can be your reality on board the Atlantis with New York Cruises. Fully insured and Coast Guard certified, this three-deck yacht is family-owned and operated with over 40 years of boat building and marine experience. Captain Fred and the Atlantis will make any event a great time. Comfort, luxury, attention to detail, it's what the Atlantis and New York Cruises are all about. Experience the sophistication of cruising around Manhattan in style on your wedding day, birthday, anniversary, corporate event, or for no occasion at all. Just call 212-633-1231 or visit NewYorkCruises.com. Now that I've got your attention, let me tell you all about us. Whoa, tough crowd. Anybody out there? Hello, anyone? Fighting to be heard in today's competitive digital world? It's time for Salem Surround. Let us handle everything and get your message seen and heard. Let's turn up the volume on your business with Salem Surround. For more information, go to surroundnewyork.com. That's surroundnewyork.com. Kevin McCullough is next on AM 970, The Answer. We have noted criminal defense attorney Benjamin Brothman here telling us about his life in the law. How has the practice of criminal law changed to you? The most obvious thing. I can tell you what comes to my mind, having watched my father, and now I'm a lawyer 30 years. But what comes to your mind? Well, I think what's what's changed is, you know, almost half the shows on, on television are uh, crime dramas. And in almost all of those cases, the criminal defense lawyer is portrayed as somebody who's, like, not completely ethical or somebody who's, you know, just what you might characterize as a sleazy lawyer. And, you know, to be honest, with you. Part of the problem with the criminal defense bar is there are a number of people who you and I, you know, think that way about. But there are a lot of us who are not and who are doing a very, very good job. And I don't know that we always get the kind of credit and and respect that we're entitled to and that we have earned. And, you know, at the end of the day, I spoke to a group of uh, white collar criminal defense lawyers who, for the most part, were all uh, all former prosecutors. And I remember saying to them, says, you know, you guys, um, you know, uh, former prosecutors, but, you know, you just 
prosecute us and you just dress better now that your you know partners in in big firms but you know i don't know that anybody in this room has a defense verdict so until you have a couple under your belt i'm not certain you want to hold yourself out as being a uh, criminal defense lawyer and you know to be honest with you i i'm not look when pre Barara was the u.s attorney in the southern district of new york he invited me in to address the entire criminal division mandatory attendance and he told me that i was the first criminal defense lawyer ever brought into the u.s attorney's office to talk to them and the topic was role of the defense lawyer and i remember telling them says i'm your adversary i'm not your enemy so don't treat me like i'm your enemy treat me like i'm your adversary you're going to do a good job i'm going to do a good job when it's over we'll shake hands you'll go on to the next case and so will i and second you know you guys summarily arrest someone who is represented by a lawyer who is offered to voluntarily surrender and i've been in those cases and at six o'clock in the morning when my phone rings and a hysterical spouse is on the phone 20 fbi agents come into my house and they're all over the place and they got guns and they got blazers and the FBI. He says, why? He says, those guys should be out hunting terrorists. It's a white collar case. It's a 10 year old bank fraud. I can bring that person in when you tell me that, uh, you know, all my efforts to, you know, uh, convince you not to prosecute have not been successful. We're going to prosecute to so bring him in. And when you arrest them summarily, you know what happens? Six hours later, a judge releases them on the signature. So they weren't a terrorist. They weren't running away. They're not a danger to the community. Why do you do that? So why do they do it? I'll tell you what they told me. I'll tell you what they told me. They told me that if it's not an arrest by the FBI, the FBI doesn't get credit for that case and that it's a matter of statistics. And if you just let them surrender, the FBI doesn't. Seems like a very simple solution. Just surrender them to the FBI headquarters and let them walk through. I I will tell you, though, Ben Brothman, what I've seen is, and you, you alluded to it, there are just so many less trials. And yes. a lot of that has to do, in my opinion, with Sammy the Bull Gravano. Because once he gave the green light that it's okay to cooperate. Everybody cooperates. That's it. Right. I mean, that's the uh, that the guys are flipping all over the place. I mean, my dad was in the 70s and 80s. He'd be walking around the house on trial all the time. Right. And Justice Alito wrote a decision within the last couple of years saying nationally, I think 96% of cases federally take a, the criminal going to take a plane. Right. Bob Katzberg, who's a, you know, a good friend and a former colleague who's retired, wrote a book. It's called The Vanishing Trial. And he did, you know, surveys around the country and it's substantially fewer trials. You're right. And I'll tell you what I notice. I mean, you know, partly because of COVID. I mean, there are very few trials. And, you know, we have a trial practice. So my firm has, you know, maybe done more trials than any firm. But, you know, if we've had five trials in the last three years, I think I'm giving us an extra uh, trial. No, it's, and, it's, and I used to try, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten cases a year, just me personally. I haven't been on trial in two years. Tell folks, what does that do to you physically, trying those many cases in a year? It's very hard. So I've stayed, in, you know, thank God, in relatively good shape. I work out with, you know, I'm going to, I'm 74, but I, you know, I work out with the trainer three times a week. Um, I'm at the lowest weight I've ever been in, at this point in my life, but it's hard. I mean, it's like being in a in a prize fight, and you're taking body blow after body blow, and you got to still stand, and you know you can't when, lay down. When I tried the, the the crane case, and it was a bench trial, so Roger Roger Hayes, he had a starting at nine, right. and going until five right. for like the first two weeks, and then he went to dinner with one of his good buddies from the Manhattan DA's office, who was a criminal defense attorney, and he said to him, he goes, "Do you know how hard that is? I don't care. There's not a jury there. Right. They're still doing the same thing." And to Hayes's credit, he 
he called us in the next day. He called us to the bench. He goes, listen, my buddy beat me up. He goes, we're going to start start. We'll start at ten and we'll finish at four thirty because it is. It, it really takes time off your life. In, it, in my it's opinion, grueling. I'll tell you, I, I tried a tax case before Judge Mishler in the Eastern District, and he was eighty nine at the time, and um, we were doing different tax years, and I was doing a cross of the main cooperator, and I was doing a cross on that person's tax returns. And every time I got to another year, I would hand out like 18 jury books because each book had, you know, the tax returns and the amendment. It was very complicated. So now it's a quarter to five. And he really, five o'clock was the cut time. And we had just finished the tax year. And I said to him, Judge, I'm exhausted. The, we have to now go into a new tax year. It's only 15 minutes early. Can we stop today? And he looks at me and he says, at my age, counselor, 15 minutes is a long time. <laughs> Uh, we're talking to Ben Proffin. Mr. Proffin, before I let you go, what advice would you give to kids who are in law school now or about to graduate law school about the world of criminal law, whether it be going into a U.S. attorney's office, a prosecutor's office, or joining Proffin and Associates, you know, today versus, you know, in 1976? Well... It's changed a lot. I'm not looking to hire anybody, so I want to start, start <laughs> okay, out because I don't fine. want to get away. I heard you on the podcast, and I got my resume polished. No problem. So I'm not looking to hire anybody. But that, I will also tell you that, you know, I'm not – I don't recommend that if someone, you know, comes out of law school today that they pick – criminal defense work as a specialty. And I, I say that because it's, I don't want to say it's a dying practice, but because there aren't that many trials, it's going to be very hard to develop skills. The other thing is, you can't go to the U.S. Attorney's Office right out of law school. You've got to do a clerkship. You have to work for a firm. Then you can go. And I think you need to be a prosecutor before you can be a criminal defense lawyer. It's like sort of being like an intern at the hospital. You know, you do 100 cases, then you can go into private practice. You're going to try more cases or be on your feet in the courtroom immediately in the DA's office and the U.S. Attorney's office. But I'll tell you the complaint I get from the Southern District people, the Eastern District people. They're there four, five, six years, maybe try four cases. Maybe. maybe two years. Maybe. Two cases. Right. So they're not, they're not happy. The DA's office, even there, you know, 70, 80, 90 percent of the caseload, <clears> like <throat> you said, end up in pleas. And, you know, it's a difficult profession from the outside. But I'll tell you something that um, I've often said to young lawyers. First of all, there are no shortcuts. So you really need to do your homework and you need to work your, you know, really, you know, into the wee hours of the morning. And I'll tell you one thing, which uh, it's a war story, but it's the truth. And I'll tell you, I repeat it because it's an important story. I was trying the Windows case in the Eastern District. And that was a hard case. That was in the 80s, there, right? There were 600 hours of tapes and my client was the single most taped person. And I was cross-examining Peter Savino, who was, you know, a career ruthless murderer who then decided and they indicted the it was a RICO case. It was a RICO case, antitrust, window bid rigging industry where, you know, so my client was acquitted on an entrapment defense. And I remember arguing to the judge, the U.S. attorney said, excuse me, your guy's an associate in the crime family. His job is committing crimes. What kind of entrapment? I said, excuse me, you could hold up a liquor store every day, but be entrapped into bid rigging or to antitrust. And Judge Neary, to his credit, gave me an entrapment charge and he was acquitted based on entrapment. So I'm cross-examining Savino, and it's my third day, and a law class comes in. They're like 50, 60 kids, and their professors from Brooklyn Law School come in to watch the trial. And after about two hours, they break, and, you know, I've got notebooks six inches high, and I'm using them. And the 
guy comes up to me and he says, oh, my God, this looks like so much fun. You're in a zone. This is great. And I look at him and I said, what did you do last summer? So he said, excuse me? He said, what did you do? I said, why? He said, just tell me what you did. He says, well, you know, I graduated uh, after my 2L, took our finals. Then my buddies and I, we went sailing for a month. Then we went to Hawaii. We did some surfing. I said, why do you ask? He said, you know what I did last summer? June, July, August, September. I prepared this cross in my den when everybody else is at the beach with headphones on, stopping and starting these tapes. This is a really hard cross to prepare. So don't tell me that this looks like fun unless you want to do that. Just don't get up and ask I, these I questions. I remember when you were driving the Pharmacon case, uh, Screekle, how do you pronounce his last name? The pharmacy kid. The kid. Oh, Screlly. Screlly. And I, I was talking on the phone one day, giving you a pep talk, whatever. You're like, Arthur, I have never tried a case in the summer. Again, it's horrible. Everyone's talking about they're going sailing and they're going to the beach and I'm sitting in my office sweating and going through a million doc a million exhibits. I've never had it. You know, you used to remember when we first started, you got your, your discovery material. They would say, you know, bring down a huge U-Haul because we're giving you 30 Box. boxes. Right. And now they come down, they give you, they give you, uh, you know, a little, uh, what's it called? Thumb drive. A little whatever. thumb drive. And there's your whole discovery. Yeah. And you, but it takes hours and hours and hours. Really? It's very All hard. All right. Before we let you go, Mr. Brofman, is there any, is there a legal battle that you still hope to fight down the road or you wish you can revisit and, and do it over again or use your bully pulpit to make some changes or, or change anything? Well, I think, you know, the criminal justice system has gotten, gotten a lot of very bad press by this bail reform law, which, you know, to me, I just I just don't understand. It's the same kid getting arrested every day and walking out, and whether it's a gun or whether it's assault or whether it's, and they're not setting bail, and then they go out and then they ultimately kill a police officer, and the Post writes, well, they were arrested 50, 000, 50 times before that. So I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I'm really the one who's arguing for bail. But, you know, in some cases, in some cases, give me a break. If the 35 arrests and 12 bench warrants, you don't walk out the courtroom. You know, and if somebody says to you, well, that's not how a criminal defense lawyer should talk. I says, I'm, I think I'm a citizen and a criminal defense lawyer. Now, I don't want my kids and grandchildren being afraid when they're on the subway that someone's going to throw them into the subway. I think, I'll tell you the truth. I, I see the world has changed dramatically. I think, you know, right is is wrong and left is right and you know whatever is true is not true so I've given up you know I can't watch the news anymore. Well the congressman got in big trouble because he said publicly that a man cannot give birth to a child Right. and he got he got <laughs> crucified. It's, no but it's it's <laughs> and the other thing is you know today everything is the technology is you know I lecture to high schools and I say to these kids before you hit send read what you just wrote you know Maimonides who is a great Talmudic scholar said, before you speak, think. Before you write something, think twice, because it's forever. You know, it's forever. So if you want to write something and you want to hit send, make sure you know what you're doing. And I say to these young teenagers, so you want to send a nude picture of your girlfriend or boyfriend because you're in love and you want them to have it? You're going to break up with this person. The odds of marrying the 15-year-old, it's like one in a billion. <laughs> says, And that person's then going to hate you. And they're going to have an intimate picture of you that they're just going to hit. And you have no idea who gets who it gets forwarded to. So, I, you know, I just don't understand. And I'm 
I'm a, I'm sort of like a dinosaur when it comes to the technology. You know, when I, you, it's like playing tennis. If you were raised by a tennis family and you're hitting tennis balls when you're eight, you're going to be a good player, a reasonably good player. If you start when you're 40, you're never going to be a great player unless you're just a natural, you know, athlete. Right. Athlete. So I, 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 I think that the, the world has really changed a lot. And I'm not certain it's changes that are for the better. The devices, the technology, that everything is instantaneous where you have to file motions, right? right. So my father, at the end of his career, he, he didn't. He refused to, to deal with it, right? And that's one of the reasons why he retired at 80. Right. But he was 80. He did it for right. 64 years. But you would, just so people understand, you walk into a federal courtroom at 9.30 in the morning and the prosecutors expect you to have a response to a motion that they filed at 11, yeah, 11.59. Right. I mean, that's the world that we live in. Well, Ben, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much. We spent a lot of time, but it's well worth it. I really, truly appreciate you finding the time. And thanks for all the good work you do besides the world of criminal law. I know you do a lot for for the Jewish community, and you do a lot of pro bono work when it's necessary. So, And you mentor a lot of people. So overall, I think in Sicilian, we call you a mensch. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, folks. My pleasure. Send lawyers, guns, and money. Dad, get me out of this. The preceding program, sponsored by Freehold Mitsubishi. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.